Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Welcome to the 26th episode. Recent headlines have informed us that we have an embryo storage crisis in our nation. More than 8 million babies have been born from in vitro fertilization known as IVF since the world's first successful case in 1978. As you probably know, IVF is the medical process by which fertility doctors extract eggs from a mother, join them in a test tube with collected sperm from the father, and implant the fertilized egg or human embryo back into the mother for a hopeful successful pregnancy and the birth of a child. But past best practices within IVF or even current habits, though the technology and success rate has improved, have led doctors to extracting and inseminating dozens of eggs because of the risks posed to their viability when they are frozen, thawed, and implanted. In some cases, one couple will have 40 or 50 or 60 eggs fertilized and then cryogenically frozen until they're ready to implant them. Hence the embryo storage problem. The problem is that when an abundance of eggs are collected, fertilized, and frozen, parents don't often need or want to implant the leftovers. Many times they get pregnant in the first handful of tries and the process is successful, and then they grow their families. Then they have these other embryos on ice, but they don't want to have more children. Or in other cases, maybe they're not successful and the couple just doesn't want to keep going through the cycles of heartbreak, or perhaps their finances run out, or maybe the marriage splits apart. And so we have an abundance of human embryos on ice in more than 500 fertility clinics in the United States. Now, the number of frozen embryos does not have to be reported to the CDC, but clinic directors say that hundreds of thousands of embryos, if not more, are in their freezers and have been abandoned by their former patients. An embryo is considered abandoned after a patient hasn't paid for their storage fees for five years. Some clinics say just after one year. Clinic staff try to follow up with their former patients and ask them, what do you want to do with your embryos? And they often cannot locate the former patients. The eggs themselves are minuscule. They don't take up hardly any room, but the liquid nitrogen tanks in which they're stored do take up significant space. So clinics are running out of room and they want to send these abandoned um, embryos to large, larger storage facilities. So that's what recent headlines are all about, what to do with abandoned embryos because clinics are running out of room. When patients come to the realization that they don't want to use their extra embryos, they have a few choices. They can keep paying storage fees for the frozen embryos. They can donate them to another woman or couple to adopt an implant. This is known as snowflake adoption. They can allow the clinic to destroy them, or they can donate their embryos to medical research. Oftentimes, the weight of the decision is just overwhelming. Couples don't want to make that choice. They sit on the paperwork, and then sometimes they move and just lose touch. Some couples cannot bear the thought of destroying their tiny children without purpose. And so they cannot bear also bear the thought of their child being implanted in another woman and raised by another family. So they donate the child to science. Some couples keep their baby on ice for decades. Experts guess that embryos are viable for up to a hundred years. So some suggest making a will or a trust fund for the embryos, because if you pass away with your baby still on ice, clinic staff won't know what to do. Clinics are extremely averse, as you might imagine, to simply disposing of embryos because there's an awareness that these are genuine human beings. 
there's always the chance that someone will come back and say, hey, what have you done with my embryos? What have you done with my babies? That was not your life to destroy or discard. Obviously, we see a double standard here, again, in the medical community. When it comes to infertility and creating new life, an embryo is a human that must be protected and cared for. But when it comes to an unexpected or crisis pregnancy, an embryo is a blob of tissue or a non-viable life that's not worthy of protection. As frustrating as that is for me, that's not what this episode of All Things is about. We're talking about IVF. We're talking about these headlines about um, embryo storage. And then there's also the reality that I have and have always had in all my 20 years of being an adult, friends who are wading through the waters of infertility. I have dear friends on all sides of this issue. I have friends who've been infertile and decided not to pursue fertility treatment. They've remained childless. I have friends who've pursued IVF and been very successful, friends who've pursued IVF and been unsuccessful, friends who've taken advantage of other steps in fertility treatment with varying degrees of success, friends who've pursued foster care and adoption as a result of infertility. I even have a friend who has adopted a snowflake baby and is is now raising that sweet boy. I also have friends who are still paying for the frozen storage of their embryos. So in speaking to this issue, I want to do so with the utmost of sensitivity and care. There are people that I dearly love walking through this on all sides of the issue. They are mature Christians with vastly different experiences and opinions. And I think because of the sensitivity that's required, and because it's an area where strong believers have differing conclusions, we don't hear much about this in the church. We don't hear much about infertility or fertility treatment options. If there's one thing all of my friends above have in common, it's that they all wish the church would talk about this more. They all feel isolated and like no one else is asking these questions. So one of my goals in having this episode is to just speak into that isolation and shame that so many people feel in infertility. Amongst the body of Christ, there should be neither. There are so many amongst amongst us who are walking through uncertainty and grief, and they're just trying to process it all alone. They assume that no one else has or no one else is going through this. Well, I can tell you there are many couples walking through these issues all the time. No one is alone in this. I think our silence as a church has bred shame, and that's an unnecessary and unjust additional yoke for our siblings in Christ to bear. So let's be talking about these things as hard as it might be. And I need to say here that I am not likely to offer a ton of concrete answers on this episode of all things, but I do just want to talk about it. Primarily the issue of IVF spurred on by the recent embryo storage headlines. And then secondarily, the issue of seeking fertility treatment at all for Christian couples, the couples that deeply desire to have children. So let's start with a definition, what we're actually talking about, who we're talking about. The common understanding of infertility is the inability of a couple to get pregnant after one year or longer of trying. And about 15% of American couples overall who are trying to get pregnant fall into this category. Okay, and now let's set out just a couple of foundational truths. The first, wanting to overcome infertility is a good thing. We see several examples of couples in scripture who were barren, but when they became pregnant, it was a cause for rejoicing. It was seen as a huge gift from God. We see this with Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, when they finally were able to conceive after years of being childless. We also see several instances in the Bible where it says, for example, something like what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 14, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or your livestock. We see that children are a gift from the Lord in Psalm 127. So we see that being fruitful, overcoming infertility is a good thing. We see that it's a good, it's good to desire kids. It's good to desire fertility. As one article put it that I will link in my show notes, overcoming infertility is pleasing to the Lord. 
Okay. Second foundational truth, medicine and medical procedures in general are a gift from God. They are gifts of common grace to all of us. One of our first commandments in Genesis is to subdue and rule over the earth. Finding and creating medicine is one way to do that. Also, Jesus was a healer. His disciples were healers. Paul prayed for healing. James tells us to pray for healing and to seek the elders for healing. So we can conclude from the Bible that medicine and medical procedures are in principle a good thing. It's good and right and biblical to seek children and to take advantage of medicine and medical procedures that are healing and that are life giving. Well, here are currently in 2019, here are some of the ways a couple can pursue fertility treatment. There's medicine, for example, fertility drugs, there's corrective surgery, there's intrauterine insemination, IUI. This is often called artificial insemination. That's where the sperm is specially prepared and inserted into the woman's uterus. Sometimes also the woman is treated with medicines that stimulate ovulation when undergoing IUI. Then there's also assisted reproductive technology, ART. That includes all fertility treatments in the where the fertilizing is done outside of the body, in vitro, for example. So the main type of ART is in vitro fertilization, IVF. So beyond these foundational truths that children are a blessing and medical advances are also a blessing, and as we look at that list of options for fertility treatment, there are some really difficult, thought-provoking, not easy-to-answer questions that we as Christians need to think about in this area. Here are some things we need to wrestle with when we're talking about fertility treatment options. They, there are heart level questions. There are philosophical, practical, physiological issues. Really all of them are eternal issues. All of them bear the weight of eternity here as we consider our hearts and what God is doing, as well as the creation of new human lives. One article I read had some very helpful pastoral questions to ask someone who is walking through infertility. I'm going to link it. And I think these questions are so key. So I'm going to quote them here. Do you see children as a do-it-yourself project or as an awe-filled gift accomplished through a one-flesh union and to be stewarded by the glory of the Lord? So in other words, how are you or how are your friends or whoever, how are you approaching this process? Is it like so many of our other processes in this day and age where we can be self-sufficient, we can DIY, we can take charge and get it done? Or is there a sense within you of the miraculous, an awareness that life is precious and creating life is different? This isn't a flu vaccine. Life is sacred. And while medical intervention is a blessing, whether it's the flu shot or chemotherapy, beginning and end of life issues are unique. As I say so often on this podcast, it's God alone who gives life and breath and everything else. It's his breath in our lungs. He alone is the creator. So this is not run-of-the-mill medicine here. This issue is set apart. So then beyond just these heart level questions of, you know, how do you view creation? There's questions for the married couple to consider together. Questions for their relationship. Does the wife feel a sense of inferiority because she's not able to have a child? Does the husband feel he's less of a man because he can't be a father? Do they blame their infertility on past sexual promiscuity or other behaviors? Does one of them feel subtly, does one of them subtly blame the other for their problems conceiving? Do they feel they are being punished by God through their infertility? It's crucial that husbands and wives see themselves and see one another accurately, biblically, that they're interpreting everything through an accurate and biblical lens. What do they think of when, when they think of their heavenly father in all of this? Do they embrace God's love for his own children? Do they have a robust view of God's sovereign kindness and providential grace? Do they believe that God uses all things, even trials, to conform us to the image of Christ? Do they have confidence that whatever the outcome, God is good and has their eternal best interest in view? 
So can wanting children become an idol? Can that desire go bad? Can it become counterfeit? Can it morph from a good desire into a bad one because of the place where it has taken up residence in your heart? Yes, it can. So we've got to wrestle with all of these heart level questions and really try to dig up and root out any idols of the heart or any wrong thinking. I think with the help of a community, a small group, dear friends, and a pastor, a couple needs to ask some questions that go beyond. So first these heart level questions, but then ones that go beyond that higher level, more philosophical questions. Those questions might be, is it wrong to pursue children outside of normal contraception? What do we think about separating sex from procreation? So we know that children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. We know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the Psalms say, by God in our mother's wombs. We as Christians agree that creation is a divine act. So some Christian thinkers would ask us to ask ourselves, is it right to separate sex from procreation? Is it right to separate procreation from sex? Or should these two things always stay together? In other words, when you separate sex from procreation, that would be contraception. Or when you separate procreation from sex, that would be fertility treatments. So some mature Christian pastors and writers and thinkers say those two things should never be separated. And I'm not saying I land there. I'm also not saying that I don't land there. We have to wrestle with this when we consider birth control or fertility treatments, everything from hormone treatments to vasectomies. This is a weighty eternal question. We're essentially wondering, wondering, is it okay for me and my spouse to limit or permit creation according to our preferences? So those are some deep, important questions. The next round of questions might be a bit more medical or more statistical. A couple needs to sit down with their doctor, their pastor, their community of care, and have a good understanding of the risks that the woman will face. Fertility measures are invasive. They often require the non-therapeutic use of hormones. So are these risks reasonable? The woman's going to bear them alone, so it's important to consider. And what are the risks, of course, to the babies that are created in vitro? Therein lies the crux of the issue, or at least the crux of our embryo storage problem. An egg that has been fertilized fertilized by sperm, an embryo is a living human being with a soul. How many babies will be created and destroyed? How many will be created and put on ice? If many embryos, if many souls will be created, and we know at the outset that at least some of them will die, even though that's not the intention, is it ethical to create these embryos at all? Is it okay to create lives knowing some of them won't make it? If we are pro-life, we have to ask this really, really hard question. In an article that I will link written by Wayne Grudem, he concludes that, and I quote him here, if IVF is used by a married couple and if care is taken to prevent the intentional destruction of embryos, then it is a morally good action that pleases God because it violates no scriptural guidelines, achieves the moral good of overcoming infertility, and brings the blessing of children to yet another family. So Grudem goes on and says that the fertilization of only one or two eggs at a time with the intent of the doctor and the husband and the wife that all fertilized eggs will live and come to normal birth, then IVF without the destruction of embryos is morally acceptable. He also cites that the success rate, success rate for IVF continues to improve. So bottom line for Wayne Grudem and many other biblical philosophers and pastors is that if IVF is conducted with great care, if all embryos are implanted and there is a limited chance for destruction, then it is morally acceptable. Of course, there are respected thinkers on the other side of this issue. Some Christian scientists and philosophers think that IVF is morally unacceptable, even when only one egg is fertilized, because the success rate is just too low. 
With current success rates around 50% at best and all the way down to just 13% or even 4% depending on other issues such as the age of the mother, they say that IVF causes an immoral waste and loss of embryonic life. Ultimately, they find the loss of so much human life just morally unacceptable. So further, they also say as we become comfortable being humans that make humans, they wonder if we will not slowly become comfortable choosing which humans are preferred or desired. In other words, it is likely with IVF that we might have to make a decision about which lives seem the strongest, the most viable. And that puts us in a sphere, really, where only God belongs. So clearly the Christian cannot blindly embrace all conception and medical technology. We cannot just run in blindly to fertility treatment options. This is an area full of heart level and medical and marital and philosophical and eternal questions. I think the bottom line for this episode and a place where all Christians can land together is that it's not okay to create embryos haphazardly. It's imperative that if an embryo is created, he or she must be handled with all the dignity and respect and care that any newborn baby or thriving toddler or productive adult deserves. An embryo is a human life and it is in fact unethical and unbiblical to leave a baby on ice forever and ever or to donate a baby to science. If we somehow find ourselves in the position of having embryos outside of our bodies, we need to do all that we can to give those lives a chance at living beyond the liquid nitrogen freezer. So snowflake adoption is a great option here. There are so many other angles we could go with this discussion. We could talk about single parents and fertility treatment. We could talk about IVF and surrogacy. We could also talk about the value and goodness that childless couples bring to our communities. We do need the witness and truth and perspective of childless couples in our local bodies. We also need to consider and elevate the options of adoption and foster care, not just because those are acceptable acceptable ways to grow one's family, but also because they are lives in limbo. They are lives who bear witness to our creator. They are invaluable humans with a story to tell. They are precious children who deserve life and a family and have so much to offer our families and our local church bodies. Like I said, there are so many directions we could go, but I'm going to wrap it up here and encourage you to go look at the show notes. If you're not currently walking through fertility issues yourself or with a friend, it's only a matter of time. You will walk through this at some point. It's important that you're prepared with some heart level questions, questions for your marriage, for things to ponder about how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see the bringing about of a new human life, questions about the science and the medicine behind your options, weighing the risks with success, life with death, what it's worth, what's acceptable, what is pleasing to the Lord. These are heavy issues indeed, and they, there are great Christian thinkers who land on multiple sides of the issue. So let's be wrestling with these things out in the open. Let's be wrestling with them together. Let's be discussing these issues in our local churches. There's no reason that the world should be louder and clearer on these issues than we are. Hey, I love hearing from you guys. Drop me a message at jenoshman.com or leave a review or rating on this show um, on this show in iTunes. I so appreciate your feedback and your conversations. I really look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.